This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Inside Story on BFM 89.9. Good evening, you're with Sharmila Ganesan and Lee Chui Lin. Tonight, should we be focusing on a living wage rather than the minimum wage? So first, we're going to talk about the mathematics. What goes into determining a living wage and why is it the more important conversation to have in comparison to minimum wage? And then, how can this be implemented across the country in a meaningful way? So tell us, are you in support of a living wage in Malaysia? And what should that amount look like in the Klang Valley? Call 777 tweet us at BFM Radio and send us a voice note or WhatsApp our U-Mobile number 018-789-8899. This is Inside Story. is 6.08 and our inside story today comes from um, well a remark that Human Resources Minister V. Sivakumar made yesterday in Parliament. So he told Dewan Rakyat that the government is studying a Bank Nagara Malaysia proposal on implementing a living wage in the country. So this comes from Bank Nagara's 2017 annual report and that it proposed essentially that a living wage of 2,700 ringgit was needed for an unmarried adult in urban areas. So I think it might be relevant at this point just to talk about what a living wage is because minimum wage gets talked about a lot and I think is generally understood uh, correctly. But living wage as a term is maybe less familiar. So according to BNM, uh, a living wage is defined as the level of income needed for a household to afford a minimum acceptable standard of living. And I said according to BNM, but the truth is that that definition is generally internationally accepted. That's roughly what a living wage encompasses. And um, so Specifically in our country, this minimum acceptable standard of living constitutes three things, namely the ability to meaningfully participate in society, the opportunity for personal and family development, and freedom from severe financial stress. So that is what, if you have all those things, if you can afford all those things, then you have a living wage. I mean, the... the meaning is actually fairly apparent from what it's called, right? It is what a person would need to earn to be able to live, to be able to live meaningfully. And that includes things like healthcare, to be able to have access to food, shelter. Um, And I think why this distinction is often made between minimum wage and living wage is that if we look at that proposed number, that we need a living wage rate of 2,700 ringgit, and we compare it to what our current minimum wage is, 1,500 ringgit, that's not matching up at all. That's not even close. Mm. Um, I mean, I'm just going to go back to, can you meaningfully participate in society? Are you free from severe financial stress? Um, Never mind personal and family development. I feel like we don't even have to to take that into account. If you're talking about the disparity of 1,200 ringgit at that level um, and at that level in an expensive city. So yeah, I think it's it's, it's an interesting conversation. And to be honest, it's one that comes up every time we discuss raising the minimum wage because... um, while we see right now that employers are already having difficulty, some employers, not all, are already having difficulty meeting the minimum wage, um, 
alongside that, though, you always have the call from people to say, well, yeah, but this isn't even the conversation we should be having. We need to talk about the living wage. I think there are a few challenges, right, when it comes to this notion of implementing a living a living wage. If we, t- like you said, even the minimum wage has been contested, pushed back, um, having issues with implementation. Uh, but there's also the larger question of how do we even determine what that living wage rate should be if we put a blanket number for the whole country, for instance. Firstly, I think even 2,700 would not really fly in our urban areas. Um, but then how do we account for what would work in a Kuala Lumpur, let's say, versus a Kota Baru, uh, let's say, more rural areas. So I think these are some of the complications. The other is, of course, how to get buy-in from uh, businesses, from employers. And I don't know, it's a tricky one, but I'm glad that we're having these conversations because I think we have to move towards um, living in a country where people at least earn enough to be able to put a roof over their head and food on their table. Uh, But not just that. Um, it, it's beyond that, right? Because in the Maslow's hi- Maslow hierarchy of needs, the living wage actually goes beyond the things that you just mentioned. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I think that uh, just to clarify once more, in case you missed the first part of our introduction, when we say we're glad that we are having this conversation, who we mean is the government, because this is coming actually from the HR minister. So... We are going to be looking at this today, uh, both in terms of what needs to happen to get us there and what the implementation should look like. Uh, But let us know, are you in support of a living wage in Malaysia? And what should that amount look like in Klang Valley? Call 77332900, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. After this, we'll be joined by Amanda Yeo, who is a senior fellow at the Pacific Research Centre. So keep it here on Inside Story, BFM 89.9. Bodacious, fabulous minds. BFM 89.9, the business station. It's 6.14. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila and Lynn. And we're talking about implementing a living wage in Malaysia. This comes from a statement made by the Human Resource Minister in Parliament yesterday uh, that they are studying a proposal to implement this. So we'd like to hear from you. Are you in support of a living wage in Malaysia? What should the amount be in Klang Valley? Call double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Joining us now on the line is Amanda Yeo, senior fellow at the Pacific Research Centre. Amanda, good to have you with us. Thank you so much, BFM, for having me today. So, Bank Nagara Malaysia defines a living wage as the level of income needed for a household to afford a minimum acceptable standard of living. Now, what does that look like in tangible terms? Basically, minimal acceptable standard of living refers to the participation in society, personal and family development, and freedom from severe financial stress. However, I am not really sure whether Malaysians are even afford to purchase basic needs such as food, clothing and shelter nowadays since the price of necessities are getting more and more expensive. And how does a living wage differ from a minimum wage? So basically, living wage refers to the level of income that can match the actual living among citizens. But for minimum wage, actually, it refers to the lowest level of income that the employees have to pay their employees for the work performed during a given period, which cannot be reduced by collective agreement or an individual contract. 
Now, in theory, living wages should be adjusted for inflation. What would this look like in a Malaysian context? So, as the latest inflation rate is still higher than early pandemic days from 1.6% in January 2020 to 3.7% in January 2023, the current desired living wage of Malaysia is definitely higher, given that many of them still have to commit most income to pay off housing and car loan monthly. And... Um... We've been talking about this, or we brought this number up earlier, because BNM estimated that back in 2018 that a living wage for a single adult in KL is 2,700 ringgit. Is this still a fair estimate in, in 2023? Actually, I think it will not be surprising if the current desired living wage rise by at least 25%, which is 3,375 ringgit. Right. So what would be the approach to determine a fair living wage in in KL? Basically, I think it can be mainly determined by the job profession, whether it is high skill or low skill. But it's really sad to know that the highly professional skills such as uh, doctors and engineers are still paying low wage, as demonstrated by the Deputy Human Resources Minister Mustafa Stadmut recently. The salary starting in 2019 is only worth 2,300 ringgit. And then like for doctor case, basically like to, today, if let's say they work overtime or on call 24 hours during weekdays, they only could earn 14 ringgit per hour. And for weekend, it's even lower for the doctors, only 9 ringgit per hour. So can you imagine with this kind of uh, living standard currently? Mm. And, and so that's from a profession point of view, but we've also been uh, focused on Klang Valley, where we're based here, and the number initially also stemmed from there. Uh, but how might the living wage vary from state to state? So basically, uh, in my opinion, I think for the less developed West Malaysian states such as Kelantan, Tolongkanu, and Perlis, the living cost might be lower as they can earn living from their agricultural plantation. But in Sabah and Sarawak often face higher logistic costs compared to West Malaysia, as most of the goods have to be delivered either by ferry or by plan. And actually, it's even worse for Sabah, where I come from. Not only the grocery items are more expensive, eating out is also more expensive compared to the rest of the Malaysian state. So it is not surprising to have a bowl of pork noodles at 12 ringgit in a non-air-conditioned coffee shop in Sabah. Which professions are going to benefit most from the instating of a living wage? I think it will be mid-skill and high-skill workers because like uh, what I mentioned just now, like doctor and engineer, the starting pay is like so low. So if let's say the starting pay for the highly professional job can be higher than the lowest skill, then it will like match the skills that the particular person equipped, actually. So this is already coming through in our messages. How can one make the business case for increasing wages to employers? Because obviously for employees, the benefits are clear. The government has to revise the existing wage scale and structure by emphasizing research and development, R&D, and also product commercialization. When the government amend the Employment Act of 1955, by emphasizing productivity link instead of time-based wage system, it will boost the productivity among industrial workers and 
employers will afford to increase wages of employees. If we look at wages as they are now, what are factors? What are the factors contributing to the slow growth of wages? Actually, still today, Malaysia remains stuck in the low wage, low cost economic model with a high influx of low skilled foreign labours. And talk to us about the uh, social impact that living wages would have on families and communities. More low-income families will afford to have more nutritious food, quality education and healthcare when they receive living wage that can match their living standards. When their minimum acceptable standard of living is taken care of, they are less likely to commit themselves into crimes, fall into mental illness or commit suicide. Are there spillover effects from this social impact that could also have an impact on our broader economy? Introducing living wage is good for the community in general as it promotes better citizen well-being and livability. Both physical and mental health are important as better health care will promote higher edu- economic growth in the country. So uh, we're talking about society and then economy, but could living wages potentially also have a positive impact on government spending? The government may able to allocate lesser budget on financial assistance among low-income earners when middle or low-income earners are able to receive living wage that match their living standard. They are less likely to require government assistance to finance their daily needs. Now, we'll be looking at implementation with more depth later on, but what do you think are going to be some of the hurdles in putting living wages in place? How to move away from low-skill economic model can be the main hurdle for Malaysia. However, Malaysia, when Malaysia could reduce dependence on low-skill foreign labour and put more emphasis on local talent development, then living wage agenda will not be difficult to introduce nationwide. And we're talking about this in a uh, national context, but are living wages current? a significant part of the global agenda? Are there international standards or guidelines? Yes, actually there is. In fact, the European Commission launched a new directive on adequate minimum wage in 2020. In 2021, several industry platforms such as UN Global Compact, Business for Inclusive Growth, Aim Progress and IDH called to build a living wage economy. During the June 2022 International Labour Conference, the International Labour Organization, ILO, adopted a resolution acknowledging the concept of a living wage and calling for ILO assistance to member states. I also find global living wage correlation is very interesting, although yet to have any living wage data estimation for the case of Malaysia. Amanda, thanks for speaking with us today. Thank you so much for having me today. That was Amanda Yeo, Senior Fellow at the Pacific Research Centre, weighing in on uh, the implementation of a living wage, the importance of having a living wage. And so we'd like to hear from you. Are you in support of a living wage in Malaysia? And what should that amount be in Klang Valley? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. We're getting plenty of thoughts coming through already. Yes, uh, I wanted to start with this one from Lisa, who says uh, a living wage of two thousand seven would be very onerous for employers, especially when some are already providing accommodation to their workers. This would increase the price of goods and services. We need to see things from the employer's point of view, not just employees. We also have to see which state the workers are in. In city areas, for example, KL, more income is needed. 
So I see where you're coming from, Lisa, and and I'm not downplaying that concern. Um, however, I often wonder when we make this argument, what the end point of that is, because does that mean that we just accept that we're going to have a bulk of employees who are just not being paid enough to live on? So, yeah, this is a chicken and egg mm. thing. Um, I, I don't want to downplay the the fact that, like we said earlier, that minimum wage is already a problem. And I don't also, I know some people are saying like, oh, you know, employers just don't want to give it or are finding loopholes not to give it. And that might be the case for some. But for others, it is a true financial ask. And I and upping that to 2007 would, of course, also be very difficult for many. So I get that. I understand. Um, but if the flip side of that is, like you are pointing out, Sharmila, we're just saying that huge swaths of a company simply can't afford to live where they work. That's not an answer too, right? No, that's not an answer. And I think going back to what our guest earlier said as well, that this is where perhaps the government needs to step in um, with with policies and incentives that enable employers perhaps to move in this direction, perhaps to empower industries where this would be the most helpful. I'm not saying I have the answers. I'm just saying that if we collectively decide to move in this direction, then perhaps that's one step closer than we already are. Keep those thoughts coming. Uh, you can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. We're asking you whether you're in support of a living wage in Malaysia and what that should look like in Klang Valley. Uh, keep it here. We'll come back after this for your messages. BFM eighty nine point nine. Bole for Malaysia. Ha. BFM eighty nine point nine. The Business Station. It is 6.39. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila and Lynn. And we're talking about moving towards implementing a living wage in Malaysia. And so we're asking you, are you in support of this? And what should that amount look like in the Klang Valley? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Let's start with a voice note. This is Adib. If a company can't afford to provide a living wage for its employee, maybe the company should not even exist. There's only so much pie. Uh, Minimum uh, living wage, I think, is necessary for a good society. Um, so, those who eat more should just eat less. Thank you for that, Adib. Um, you know, it, it might seem, perhaps, that this is something that is... So, on paper, I agree. Right. Um, I think that this is the ideal that we should be moving towards. But I think that it is um, perhaps a little bit short sighted if we talk about employers as all being the same as well. Um, And if we talk about um, it being an employer versus employee situation, which is how the situation often ends up being framed, uh, even in the minimum wage. Right. Because then it becomes employers are pushing back against minimum wage. Um, And I think that's that's part of the problem here. It is. Uh, I would add on that, maybe I'm contributing to the problem, but I 
I will say that based on how we've seen these conversations play out in the past, what might happen in the short term is that companies downsize. Um, meaning if you were to put something like a living wage in place, they would say, okay, well then we can't afford to pay everybody that, uh, which means that we can't afford to pay everybody. Um, and so I, I, I think... I, well, I believe that the living wage should be something that we work towards. Um, I think that the way it's done needs to be... I don't know if this sounds like I'm prevaricating, but um, I, I want it to be purposeful, uh, gradual but purposeful. In other words, that every step you take has a purpose, but that it's not something that happens overnight. I do agree, though, that the end goal should be employees that can live off of what they make because that is essentially what a wage is supposed to do. Um, we do have a caller on the line. Good evening, Gopal. What are your thoughts? Oh, good evening. Uh, thank you for having me. Thank you. Uh, I'm totally... Okay, thank you. Uh, totally in support of the, of, a, of the living wage. I think it should be in the neighbourhood of around 3000 uh, I think it can be implemented in phases. Um, I wouldn't worry too much about the employers. I think they, you need to get them on board, of course. And, and you know, I mean, it's, it's pretty simple. I mean, if you, want to, if you want to aspire towards a high-income nation, the, a key driver would be the productive forces in this country. That includes the, uh, the employers, all right? And they need to, like, jump on the bandwagon of producing goods and services that the world needs, that adds value uh, to them and to, to labor, and to give labor their fair share. Um, you know, I mean, the, the definition is already in the living wage. If you pay, you know, workers, particularly at the lower end, something like 1500 that is nowhere near, um, you know, that can support an individual uh, to live one's life. You know, you eat up like 500 on fuel, 500 on rent, and then 500 is left for, you know, little or nothing. That individual cannot live. This country cannot go forward with that kind of, uh, of wage uh, paradigm or framework. Uh, Gopal, before we let you go, I wanted to know, you You mentioned 3,000 and that was the, I mean, the question we've been asking is how much that should be in the Klang Valley, but I'm curious whether you think 3,000 should be the national uh, living wage or whether it should differ from place to place. I think it's going to be difficult implementing things, um, you know, from place to place. Uh, I, I prefer like a, a standard um, you know, and, and urban conurbations like uh, up north in Penang, the Klang Valley and Johor and maybe parts of uh, the West Coast are similar in terms of, uh, you know, some, some of the, uh, the drivers of, of the cost of living. I mean, I could be wrong in some, some of these areas, but I'm in favor of a, a single number. Um, Malaysia is not a big country. It's not like the U.S. or Europe. Um, you know, it's, I, I think we can manage with a single number. Gopal, thank you for your thoughts. Um, some very interesting points. I, actually, that number of 3,000 lines up with what our guest Amanda earlier said as well. Uh, I believe she said 3,300 and a little bit more. In fact, um, I, I think that this relates to a point that has come through in the messages. So Eric, for example, says, why not tie living wages with industries such as agriculture? So you move those who are willing out of the cities, you develop the agriculture business, but then again, the catch-22 would be infrastructure. Uh, Samuel says, I think there are a few things which are more crucial than a living wage. It's financial literacy, job competitiveness for those who are in the B40 category, sustainable development in other states so they can consider working 
working elsewhere and make good money there and not only in the Klang Valley. So I want to return to the rest of Samuel's message. But the reason why I was interested in both Eric and Samuel following Gopal's point about 3,000-ish being a national amount is that when we were conceiving the show, um, we both thought that maybe you would need to range it a little bit from from different places in the country but if you have a a national amount that is in in and of itself an incentive to move um meaning if you want people to kind of go out into remigration right that that other show that we've done um for people to leave urban centers to find a good living elsewhere if you know you have the living wage in place you might feel a little bit better going to work in going to work somewhere where your ringgit can stretch further. Um, that's absolutely the case. But then the other side of that is then can employers there sustain running their business as such, which is, where oh, Samuel's, totally. which is where Samuel's point about sustainable development in other states, I think, should extend as well, right? Because um, I'm not an economist. I, I don't have the answers for this, but it does strike me that then there has to be perhaps a, a sort of a buffer um, to make sure that if we want to instate something like a blanket living wage with the hope that it equalizes us between different states and different cities, which I think is very important. Um, there does need to be a little bit more, I think, fine tuning in terms of how that's going to play out. Samuel also adds another more difficult thing to do is commission based and high income employees might need to be omitted from bonuses and um fixed employees earning mid-range need to be rewarded by meritocracy during those phases. It's having a more sharing society. Um, and then you talk about solving the wage gap and cost of living issues. I see your point, Samuel. Um, I'm not sure if I entirely agree because I think, going back to Maslow, um, I think when you're talking about people who aren't even making the bare minimum to be able to stay healthy, uh, to stay sheltered, it's very difficult to then say we first need to teach them financial literacy. It, we first need to talk about these issues. Um, so I, I'm not sure where the push and pull is, but it strikes me that perhaps talking about whether people have enough is important as well. Yes, and uh, to that point about actually, I I want to know whether this is a um, this is a separate topic in many ways. What Samuel is proposing, um, if you earn, I don't know what what is T twenty again over eight thousand, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so if you earn over eight thousand, would you be willing to forego bonuses so that people in your company earning less would be able to earn more during those periods? I I'm curious to know. I suspect that the answer for many people is no, and that's because we are taught that bonuses are a reward for our work, right? And so I'm not sure the collectivist approach um, applies in many companies. Uh, and that goes back to Adib's point, right? Um, those who get more now can get less. I'm not sure how many people would actually be okay with that. But do keep those thoughts coming. We'll get to them after this. We're asking you, are you in support of a living wage in Malaysia? What should that amount look like in the Klang Valley? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. We'll be back after this, so keep it here on Inside Story BFM eighty nine point nine. Bringing fresh meaning. BFM eighty nine point nine. It is 6.49. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila and Lynn. And we're talking about uh, implementing a living wage and whether you are in support of that. And uh, we're also asking you what that amount should look like in the Klang Valley. Should that extend across the country as well? 
keep your thoughts coming. You can call us, you can send us a voice note, you can WhatsApp us, you can tweet us. We do have a voice note that's come in. This is from Danny. Minimum wage has never been and will never be the solution. And the same goes for living wages as well. The problem is that when you increase the minimum wage of certain workers, it has a knock-on effect and it causes inflation. And over time, the lowly paid worker will find that they are in the same relative disadvantage relative to other higher skilled and higher income earning employees. But while this transition is happening, there are other side effects as well. When you increase minimum wage, something or living wages or impose living wages, something that people often don't talk about is that it actually causes unemployment. Right? So the people who benefit are people who are currently employed and the other people who are job seekers get disadvantaged because employers choose not to hire because of the requirement to pay higher wages. Minimum wage and living wage is one of those things that sound good, look good on paper, but actually has the potential to cause harm. The real focus here should be on increasing productivity, right? Can income and productivity outpace inflation? That is really the key question. There is a key difference also between living wage and minimum wage and universal basic income. Right? UBI is funded through government taxes, right? Taxes can be used to fund infrastructure, subsidies, UBI for instance, and that I am in support of. But to impose minimum wage or living wage and to ask employers, businesses to bear that cost is just ignoring the commercial realities of uh, situations and just ignoring economic supply and demand. Danny, thank you for those thoughts. Well, firstly, um, and I have gone on record to say this, I'm a huge supporter of the universal basic income. If that's what we are pushing for and moving towards, I would 100% co-sign. But I think some of Danny's points about um, employment and employees is quite interesting. It is. Um, And, you know, that issue of unemployment was one that we spoke about earlier, right? The possibility of companies being less willing to hire or, in fact, actively downsizing in in cases where they can. So um, I I take the point about the pressures uh, that this can place on the job market. On the other hand, though, we also have this from Lok, who says Malaysia has put too much emphasis on employers for decades. Why do you think it's a key market for luxury cars? So... That point is exactly what I was thinking about with um, Danny's voice note earlier, which is to say that I think we can all accept that organizations and companies cannot function without employees. But I do think that by and large, a free market and in a way, the way Malaysia and many of its economies are structured also does not emphasize the well-being of those employees that keep those engines running. Um, so for me, that is really the the missing link. The fact that um If we want businesses to thrive, we need employees that are happy and able to continue working. Uh, So there is this point from Jung that I think is actually kind of interesting. So Jung says wages should be productivity based. If someone earns higher, it is because he or she performs with higher productivity. I, I see how logically that flows. I don't know if this applies to every industry equally. It doesn't apply to, I don't think it applies to every industry equally either. And what is even, even with that model, we need to start at a minimum somewhere, right? Um, And then everything builds on that. Um, I mean, I'm not sure, I'm not sure that the answer can be that the only way you decide what someone is paid is whether they're performing at a certain level. 
Mm. Um, meanwhile, we have okay some conversations coming in about whether we should have a standardized amount. So as a recap, um, our caller Gopal earlier essentially said that the amount he's thinking of is in the 3000 region as a uh, as a living wage and uh, he basically made the argument that it's easier to just standardize it across the country that everywhere uh, that's what it is uh, different people have different takes on this though so for example uh, Fazli says I'm all for a living wage but a standardized amount may be a little difficult 3,000 ringgit in kale is very different from say Trungganu or Klantan the cost also weighs differently on employers from state to state so that's something to consider which was something that um Sharmila, I think you mentioned earlier. Meanwhile, uh, Shani says, why should we be petty about who lives where to earn a living wage? All products produced irrespective of what location is sold at the same price. Everyone pays the same tax irrespective of where one lives. So um, just, I, I think we can respond to that. But just to clarify, I don't think anybody is saying that we shouldn't all earn a living wage. I think the question is whether that amount of the living wage should be the same. Uh, but yes. Mm. Uh, and that's actually a really good point, uh, Sunny, that um, we all pay the same amount of taxes. So should the location then determine whether we whether living age is living wage is different? And and to be honest, I'm actually not sure. That's what I'm hoping to learn from today's show as well, um, because there are different ways of implementing this. I'm inclined to think that. Um, I can't remember who it was who made the point earlier about a collective uh, elevating of our industries and to think of it as a way of uh, encouraging remigration, um, encouraging growth in other parts of the country. And that's certainly one direction that we sh we could be heading in. Uh, TIDJ says, love how often uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs has been mentioned today. I think a living wage is necessary and that a living wage is merely addressing the two lowest tiers. Uh, living wage should be minimum. Uh, I do think, though, that this should differ state to state. Klang Valley citizens may need around 3K, but you could easily survive with 2K in Penang and less than 2K in Ipoh. Um, those are actually some uh, really interesting numbers. Um, I don't live, I've never lived anywhere other than Kale, so this is really quite interesting to me. Um, Joe actually makes a really interesting point, saying, um, and, and this in, in regards to all the people talking about employers, so Joe says, wages should commensurate with many factors, including supportive legislation, for instance, one that's fair to employers as well, for instance, the ability to remove low performers quickly. And this is something I've heard a number of times where people say, that if we want um, legislation that empowers employees, that we also need to be able to give employers the ability to figure out what works for them internally. Well, that's a kind way of putting what this is. But but I, I agree. And I think that this is something that companies generally struggle with um, in terms of our employment laws and where they're weighted. So it is true that um, if you're talking about Again, to put it simply, dead weight and having to carry on dead weight at higher um, at higher costs than you would have in the past, then that's where we find ourselves, especially if you don't have the ability to cull. Let's see. I think just to close off on this side of things, um, we have Jonathan saying, rather than focusing on just cash or a salary minimum or a living wage as a standardized amount, we should be looking at the overall package an employer is giving. If employers provide their employees benefits in kind, like decent quality food, accommodations and so on, their living costs are also taken care of. Maybe our HR minister should consider this as well. I, I hear that. Um, I think that the thing about cash or, or at least a wage has always been that you then get the choice to to spend that how you would see fit. 
um, yes. as opposed to you know um, as opposed to benefits in kind. But and, I, I hear it. And also benefits can often be taken away depending on how they're implemented and um, how they're handed out. Um, so there's that complication as well. Uh, we will continue the conversation after this. Uh, we will be uh, looking at how the implementing of minimum wage can be done. But do keep sending your thoughts through. Uh, do you do keep sending your thoughts through. Are you in support of a living wage in Malaysia? What is that number? What should it look like in Klang Valley? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Bruce Freddie Morrissey, BFM eighty nine point nine. It is just coming up to 7.08. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila and Lynn. And we're asking you, are you in support of a living wage in Malaysia? And what should that number look like in the Klang Valley? Keep your thoughts coming. You can call us. You can send us a voice note. You can WhatsApp us. You can tweet us. Let's start things off on this side with a voice note from Vicky. I have a blind friend who was retired just before pandemic. He's single, dumped as a baby, grew up in an orphanage. He's still single. Uh, he get a warga a mass, 500 a month. Uh, how can a 500 a month be possible to live on? So he moved to a small town, still looking for a job. So I don't know how he lived with 500 a month. And you're talking about working people who don't have enough. How about the seniors who are retired and couldn't get a job? Vicky, thank you for that. Um, if that's not an argument for universal basic income, I don't know what is. Yes, uh, that, that's exactly what I was thinking because it's, um, it's so difficult, right? The assumption here is that when you're retired, you're supposed to have enough. For people who don't earn a lot throughout their working life, that's simply not the case. And then after that, our lifespans are increasing, all of these different things. And and so, yes, I think um, when you talk about something like 500 a month, we're not even at the, um, the Maslow. Uh, the Maslow hierarchy that we want to be at, the ability to participate meaningfully in society. We are all the way back at the stage you were talking about earlier, Sharmila, which is, can you put a roof over your mm. head? Can you feed yourself? So a number of people have been um, coming through with suggestions on implementation, which is what we'll be talking about after this as well. Uh, so Charlotte says, I agree that the implementation uh, of the living wage should be gradual, perhaps by phases and targeted incentives for employers to adjust to the increased cost. For example, subsidized reskilling and upskilling to help improve productivity, along with the adjustment working towards minimum wage. Businesses want to be sustainable in the long run. If productivity and revenue do not correspond Accordingly, this will eventually drive prices or unemployment up. Uh, yeah, so Clement is kind of echoing that in some ways, um, saying being an employee myself and an employer at the moment, why why not uh, for the implementation of these wages be subject to a company's income and categorized based on the size of the company? There's no way a small shop in Pekan can hire three people that earn more uh, than 2K or else many businesses will bunkus. Um, I mean, I think that might actually be the reality of the situation. Um, and I, I think to go back to the point that Charlotte was making, um, there are a number of things. And earlier when I said buffer, I think these sorts of things are what I was talking about. This is where the government can actually play a bridging role. 
Uh, I'm also just going to take it back to what began the whole conversation, which is the Human Resources Minister V. Sivakuma saying that the government is studying a BNM proposal on the implementation of a living wage. So, um, what that proposal contains exactly and the, the finer details, hopefully some of this is included. But if not, we are still very much in the... We're not even at the working stage. I think we're at the pre-working stage. We're at the research stage. Nicholas says the idea that a minimum and even a living wage will cause massive massive inflation is a myth that must end. Ultimately, inflation is a function of the money supply. And by adjusting income tax rates for higher brackets to suit, you can have a high minimum wage and low inflation. The goal ultimately is to slightly reduce the consumption of the rich so that those who are less fortunate are not left hungry and wanting. Mm, um, so I... I Thank you, Nicholas, for bringing that point up because it is one that is coming through just so much uh, in the messages. There have been concerns about cost of goods. There have been concerns about rent. So, yeah, um, I mean, hopefully that, that eases the minds of some. I'm not sure. Keep those thoughts coming. We are asking you um, whether you're in support of a living wage in Malaysia and where, what that amount should look like in the Klang Valley. You can call us, you can send us a voice note, you can WhatsApp us, you can tweet us. After this, we'll be talking about um, what implementation could look like. Uh, and for that, we'll be joined by Dr. Jeffrey Williams, economist from the Malaysia University of Science and Technology. So keep it here on Inside Story, BFM 89.9. Because freedom matters. BFM. 89.9. It's 7.13. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila and Lynn. And we are closing off our conversation on a living wage by looking at the implementation of it. Uh, but do keep your thoughts coming. Are you in support of a living wage in Malaysia? You can call us. You can send us a voice note. You can WhatsApp us. You can tweet us. Joining us now on the line is Dr. Jeffrey Williams, economist from the Malaysia University of Science and Technology. Uh, Jeffrey, good to have you with us. Hi, hi. How are you all? We're good. Thank you. So we've been talking about the government studying a proposal by Bank Negara to implement a living wage. Do you think this is doable in our current econ economic climate? Uh, yes. The short answer is yes. Uh, but the, uh, the, the longer answer is uh, what, what do you mean by doable and, and to implement it? Uh, if you look at the minimum wage uh, sorry, the living wage simply as a way of understanding the cost of living, then clearly that's doable because Bank Negara already did it and the labor team at Bank Negara are fantastic people. So if they're listening, hi guys, because they're really wonderful. And this was done quite a long time ago. And of course it will need to be updated a little bit because of rises in prices and some changes in the way that it would be measured. But essentially it would be um, done in the same way from a methodological perspective. I think um, the for a single person, it would be closer to 3,100 now, whereas before it was 2,700. This is an inflation issue. And I think for um, a family without children, it would be closer to 5,200 now rather than 4,500 before. So from a measurement perspective, for sure, it can be implemented. But it, I think you probably uh, are thinking of implementing it in a more broad term, uh, it perhaps uh, we should distinguish between the living wage and the minimum wage uh, because the minimum wage is quite uh, different. The minimum wage sets the lower threshold. It's almost uh, um, the minimum amount you, you would need to, to meet your very, very basic um, spending uh, for food in particular. A living wage is something rather different. It's about a decent standard of living. And um, I think that... Uh, 
we wouldn't necessarily be pushing quickly to uh, introduce a living wage as a replacement for the minimum wage, because then you would be uh, doubling the minimum wage, and that would be really quite a big shift. I would be personally in favor of that, but I'm pretty sure that many people wouldn't be at all in favor of that. Um, so it wouldn't necessarily be implemented in that way as a replacement for a minimum wage, but it could be implemented as a guide to government policy for people to determine who would be a recipient of various forms of welfare. Um, people below this level would be potentially recipients. And then depending on how much they earned below that level, that would then help to determine the amount of welfare that they would uh, then receive. That also could be implemented quite quickly. It's a form of universal basic income, but primarily it would be as a guide to what the income level should be rather than as a mandated minimum income level. So this is a debate that we've been having back and forth uh, throughout the show with listeners, actually, the question of whether, uh, well, A, whether or not to have it, but then subsequently whether it should be a standardised amount, whether it should be the same amount across the country or something that differs from space to space, especially considering the different costs of living um, in different areas in Malaysia. Uh, what's your take on this? Well, I mean, if there are people who say we shouldn't have it too bad because we already have it, Bank Nagara published it, so it's a bit too late on that. But this question as to whether it's, whether it's different in different parts of the country, of course, of course it will be, because it's measured in a different way. So some of the key indicators that you would use would be, for example, housing costs. And of course, housing costs are different in different parts of the country. In fact, I live in Selangor, so even within Selangor, the housing costs would be very different. If you lived in Damansara, they would be much more expensive. PJ Bangsa so would be much more expensive. If you live where I live and the prime minister lives in Sungai Long, that's where we live, it's much lower, much cheaper. So even within Selangor, it would be different. And that's because it's actually measuring a, a rather different um, thing. It's almost a cost of living measure. Uh, it's more of a replacement for an inflation figure then it would be a replacement for an income uh, or minimum wage figure. Now, one concern people have, um, and this has come through from a lot of listeners as well, uh, if we talk about truly implementing a living wage, i.e. making it compulsory for employers to pay a living wage, is um, the concern is that it might decrease employment opportunities for low-wage workers because of an increased overall cost. Is there a way to prevent that from happening? You know what? I don't see that it will reduce employment of low-wage workers because if the salaries of low-wage workers were to rise, um, people would have to wash their own pants and they don't want to do that. You would have to mop your own floor. You would have to clean your own toilets in the shopping malls and all of this. And the fact is that the guys who do that do a wonderful job and you cannot replace them as quickly as you think. So you can't come along and say, well, your salary is increased by 500 or even more than that. And so I'm going to sack you and replace you by a robot. Actually, in the modern world of work, it's more likely that higher income people will be replaced through automation because um, people who are lawyers, accountants and so on, a lot of the work that they do can be automated. But the people in the lower income groups are doing work that can't be automated quickly uh, and you would have to double or triple or more their salary before it became worthwhile for employers to replace them with technology. And in fact, that's one of the reasons why you would want to introduce 
this type of thing because it would be a spur to encourage uh, employers to to automate and to use higher technology and to um, um, use uh, more modern approaches to uh, managing their business. So it's actually net positive in that respect. And I don't think that it would necessarily reduce employment. In fact, people say the same thing about the minimum wage. And in fact, we had this discussion before, didn't we? I mean, the, the research on minimum wage is that it's at worst neutral, at best, it's net positive. A living wage, of course, is a different matter because it's higher. But generally speaking, it wouldn't necessarily wipe out large numbers of jobs. Well, um, extending that point then, considering the fact that Malaysia has largely been reliant on cheap labour as one of our competitive edges for um, investments, where does that intersect with the conversation about the implementation of a living wage? Well, it's true that um, historically Malaysia has depended on um, low wages. But uh, what we know in the last two years has really taught us a lesson, hasn't it? Because this low wage model has caused a great deal of damage to the economy. So in particular, we had the ban on um, workers from Indonesia. Now, there are many issues around that, but one of the key issues was the salaries are too low. And that meant that uh, major industries, in plantations and in construction, in retail, simply couldn't find people. And in the plantation sector, 20 billion ringgit was lost because they couldn't cut the palm oil um, fruits. So we know that maintaining that low wage um, economy in a changed world isn't the way forward because international investors are not going to look at Malaysia and say that's a great place to invest because the salaries are low. They're going to look at Malaysia and say that's not a good place to invest because the technology use is low because they're relying on low wages. And what's more, they're risking uh, human rights uh, allegations uh, modern slavery allegations and products are being banned and labor is being banned. So that low wage mentality doesn't have a future, in my view, in terms of Malaysia's development trajectory. Now, we are seeing issues um, ongoing, actually, with the current implementation of the minimum wage increase. Is this indicative of the potential challenges that might lay ahead if we do introduce a living wage? Oh, yes. I mean, we're going to have to listen to all sorts of noise from these people about how it's wiping out jobs and they can't afford it. And all we're going to, that's the biggest challenge. We're going to have to sit through that all over again. But the truth of it is that the evidence that we have is that it doesn't have a, a, a detrimental effect. It's net positive for the reasons, some of the reasons we've just mentioned. Another reason is that if you raise people's salary by using a, a living wage as an indicator of where it should be, their salaries are higher, they spend more, the economy will grow. Companies will have more revenue, they will have more profits, they will be able to invest. If it becomes expensive for the companies to employ people at higher salaries, they will then be encouraged to adopt new technologies. And the government has just put 40 billion ringgit of soft loans available for companies if they wish to take it out to introduce new technologies to spur the, um, the, the SME sectors in particular, who are, uh, for sure, the SME um, uh, group have problems in that transition. But provided you have a transitional policy with transitional support, um, it will be net positive overall. So the only problem will be dealing with the grumpy old men again. 
<laughs> so um, you started off our conversation actually by talking about how long ago this the study was done because the number 2007 came from 2017 and um, you also mentioned that now we're talking about 3001 rudimentary math uh, so that's about 14 percent I'm not sure if that extends to all the you know couples without children couples with children so on and so forth but considering that number change how often should the living wage be reviewed and revised in principle, it could be published every month, couldn't it? Because uh, once you've established the basic set of um, the basket of goods, really, that, that you need to have a decent uh, living standard, then every month when um, DOSIM publishes the inflation figures, it could quite easily update it. But of course, from time to time, the criteria that we adopted in order to have a decent standard of living will change. So you would expect that you would um, review the overall matrix on a periodic basis in the same way we do with the inflation figure, actually. But um, I personally would like to see it every month because I'm a data nerd, but I think that the employers would probably want to see it once a year at least. Uh, and, and then um, we would know it would, the, the best way to view it is that it gives employees an idea of the type of salaries that they should be asking for and it gives employers an idea of the type of salaries that they should be offering and if it's not binding then that will help the labor market to work its way out more effectively we had a call earlier from paul jamunathan um, and he had a question so he asked Throughout our lifespan, living wages will change. What formula do they use? Are they taking into account the human lifespan when calculating the living wage? Older people require all sorts of things like healthcare, insurance and so on. Even families at a later lifespan have different living wages relative to earlier ones. Also, are psychological needs being taken into account when calculating these living wages, given that I'm a psychologist? Well, the, an the answer to that is... Uh, that um, if you look at the Bank Nagara study, they, they segmented it into different types of people. A single person uh, living in an urban setting, uh, a couple without children, a couple with children, and then pensioners. And that's a pretty standard way of looking at it. And that captures life cycle to an extent. Um, in a way, you could extend that in many other ways, urban, rural, state by state, or sections with as we mentioned before. So it, in terms of the demographics, it can be measured in very many different ways. Now, in terms of our needs uh, over time, yes. So just a second ago, you asked me how often should it be revised? Well, in terms of understanding what is a decent standard of living, that of course, that will change over time. And as it changes over time, then we can change the methodology over time. But that would be a slower um, and more measured uh, change and uh, we should do that because it should be constantly reviewed in order to keep it up to date and relevant. I want to extend um, Paul's point into perhaps a more philosophical area, which is that, you know, we opened uh, the show with the definition of a living wage, which includes a um, a meaningful participation in society. And Paul is bringing in mental health because, of course, you know, that's his area of work. But broadly speaking, I think when we talk about meaningful participation in society, ability to personally develop oneself, what do we mean? Is there is there a collective understanding of what that means? Actually, you know, the origins of the uh, living wage go back to Aristotle. And he asked exactly this same question. What is the level of uh, resource or endowment or income that we need in order to live a fulfilling life? 
from a philosophical perspective. And it has developed over time, Thomas Aquinas, even the father of uh, modern economics, Adam Smith, um, uh, had very important ideas about what it means to have a living wage. It's not antithetical to those people who are market-oriented like myself. It's capitalists should not object to a living wage uh, because it really is about making sure that you have a decent standard of living. Of course, that will reflect your psychological well-being. But if you are psychologically uh, and, and uh, materially supported by having a good minimum wage, you are actually more productive in the labor market. You're more creative in the labor market. You're better motivated in the labor market. One of the worst ways of grinding down productivity is to pay people low salaries for long hours because they just aren't motivated to give you their best. So it is important to reflect on those things. And that's why we need to look at what do we mean to have a decent standard of living? This is not an excessive or um, decadent standard of living. It goes beyond just eating and it offers you an opportunity for a bit of um, personal development and, and security and even um, a, a, a small element for saving so that you can actually save, say, in a pension or you can put some money away for a, a crisis. And that gives you some sense of security. And once you have that sense of security, you can get on with your life more productively, whether it's in work or as an entrepreneur, actually. Jeffrey, thanks for speaking with us today. It's a pleasure. Thank you. That was Dr. Jeffrey Williams, economist from the Malaysia University of Science and Technology, uh, weighing in on uh, the notion of a living wage and uh, more specifically, how implementation can be carried out in a meaningful way. Uh, do keep sending your thoughts through. Are you in favour of a living wage? You can call us, you can send us a voice note, you can WhatsApp us, you can tweet us. So keep it here, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.